going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. I've often thought, why don't we have vehicular manslaughter as a charge here in this country? Whether it was the cement truck driver from a few years ago here in Calgary, or even as near as the humble Broncos bus crash. He's seen it from both sides. Balfour Durr, defense lawyer here in Calgary, joining us now on the program. Balfour, thanks for the time today. You're welcome. You have seen this from both sides as a Crown prosecutor and as a defense lawyer. What are some of the sticking points surrounding vehicular or vehicle-related deaths and being treated as being, whether they be a manslaughter or a murder or uh, something unforeseen that way? Sure. Well, it's um, the, the criminal code actually provides for... Uh, two different types of driving offenses specifically, uh, dangerous driving, and in this case, dangerous driving causing death, which is what this uh, fellow was charged with and pled guilty to, and uh, criminal negligence causing injury or death. The difference between those two is the degree of negligence uh, for criminal negligence is higher than dangerous driving. Um, So on a sliding scale continuum, the loss would be what we call careless driving under the Highway Traffic Act. Um, then you, the next up on the scale is dangerous driving, which in the criminal code uh, carries a maximum punishment of 14 years for dangerous driving causing death. And then the next charge up and the highest charge um, for these negligence uh, type charges is criminal negligence causing death, which has a life sentence. Mm-hmm. So those are the three. Now, there is the possibility um, of manslaughter. Manslaughter is always um, uh, um, a possibility for these driving offenses. However, it's very seldom, if, if ever, used. And the reason for it is that criminal negligence has the, the same maximum punishment as manslaughter. Right. And, and so over, historically over the years... Um, it, we've charged um, criminal negligence causing death instead of manslaughter. That's not to say you couldn't charge man, you could not charge manslaughter, but um, there's no use charging the general charge of manslaughter when you have uh, a specific charge which is used in driving offenses. Does that all boil down to, in a sense, the the issue of con- of intent? Um, I mean, the argument seems to go that people don't get behind the wheel drunk with the intent to kill anybody. So to to label it as a manslaughter becomes, it kind of has that homicide relation to it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Your analysis is, is spot on. Um, and indeed, uh, I remember as a young prosecutor in the 80s um, taking a case to uh, to the chief where we had a driving offense with a death and asking if I could lay the manslaughter charge. And then the answer was, no, you have criminal negligence in the criminal code. It's the same punishment. That's, um, that is a crime that's more specific. And, and it would, it's, um, manslaughter is like a murder charge, and it carries that sort of stigma. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the optics of it is probably the best way to describe it. And, um, you know, the criminal negligence charge is, is easier for juries, for instance, to wrap their head around than, than manslaughter. Right. Manslaughter isn't like murder. Murder requires the intent to kill someone. Manslaughter doesn't require the intent to kill. 
it just requires the intent to commit an, an unlawful act, whatever it could be. It could be impaired driving. It could be a common assault. Um, but the difference between manslaughter and murder is in murder, you're meaning to kill someone where in, in manslaughter, someone dies as a result of the act, but that wasn't the intention. The intention wasn't to, you know, think of um, two fellows, uh, just like a manslaughter charge I had recently, fellows fighting in a parking lot. One punch, the deceased goes down, hits his head the right way, and dies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a murder charge, because my client certainly wasn't to cause death. He was meaning to punch someone, you know, in, in, a, mm-hmm. in a fight. Um, and that, you know, that, that's the difference. When it comes to the manslaughter charge, especially when it uh, when you add in a, an impaired driving charge on top, should we be surprised at all that we don't see the manslaughter charge attached more often because it is uh, in an in, especially with a, a use it a, a impaired driving causing death? Why wouldn't you include the manslaughter charge then, in a sense, because you're you're looking at uh, something happening during the course of another crime? Yes. Um um, the, the simple answer is is that you are you're, you're unnecessarily complicating it by adding the manslaughter charge. For example, um, if if we if we have let's take this very example of uh, the Humboldt Bronco mm-hmm. bus accident. Uh, the truck drivers pled guilty to dangerous driving, so the, the prosecution. Um, believe that the level of his culpability is that of dangerous driving. In other words, not higher. It didn't go higher to criminal negligence. Right. So could they, could they have charged him with manslaughter and, and the dangerous driving become the unlawful act that leads to manslaughter? Uh, they could have. In theory, they could have. But the, what they did is a, is a fair and reasonable way to handle this, this case. They, they, they didn't overcharge, in other words. Right. So they, they look at it and say, look, the, the level of culpability is that of dangerous driving, not even criminal negligence. So that's what we're going to charge. And, uh, you know, your, um, um, what, what the public has to understand is that in laying these charges, or more importantly, in trying to prove the charges, we do not work back from the consequences. What you work from is the actual driving that took place. So you look at the, the driving that took place and, um, and say, you know, what is the level of negligence here? How high does it get? How, you know, how high can we charge? Let me try to explain it um, a different way. Mm-hmm. So it's important. So this principle is important. People misunderstand, um, you know, when they see someone's died, they automatically think, well, isn't that a murder? Isn't that a manslaughter? And not necessarily, because it's what we try to do is focus on what was the unlawful act that caused the death? What, what did this person do right. that resulted in, in the death? So here we have someone who, and I don't know the facts. I know only what I read in the newspapers here on the radio and, and television. But, but if we assume for a moment we have someone who missed the stop sign, missed the warning signs, you know, advising there's a stop sign upcoming, um, it's not impaired, not this or not that. It's it just, you know, a, a high level of inattention, though. Right. Um, that's what we're focusing on. 
is, is that level of inattention. Now, we can all imagine that that driving scenario uh, could be much worse. Let's say the, the truck was speeding. Let's say that we're, and we're not talking like a 110 and a hundred zone. Let's say this, he's driving the semi at 130 miles, 130 kilometers an hour. So significantly above the, the speed limit. And let's say that the person um, is impaired. Or if we take out the impairment, let's say the person is, is way over their hours or fatigued, be, you know, beyond reason. Now, we would look at that fact scenario and you, that you may say, well, look, that, that qualifies for criminal negligence causing death, the higher level of culpability. But here, uh, the prosecution look at it and say, well, you know, the actual driving pattern is what we are supposed to concentrate on, and it's this. So it justifies this type of charge. Balfour, appreciate the insight today. You're very welcome. So hopefully you learned a little something something about uh, vehicular manslaughter and why it's not a charge here. Balfour Durr doing a real good job there in terms of uh, laying it out for us. Let's change gears now and head on over to the home renovation, uh, Calgary renovation show uh, happening this weekend. And some words of warning, I suppose, for those who are looking to do some renovations or do some fixes around the house. Uh, Shauna K. Thomas is uh, with the Better Business Bureau here in Calgary. Shauna K., thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me, Joe. When it comes to the home reno show, everybody's going to be keeping an eye out for uh, some of the best deals, but it's a little bit of buyer beware too, isn't it? It is a buyer beware, and especially against the background of um, the fact that our, our top 10 complaints, we had you know quite a few contractors, contracting companies that were in our top 10. We had general contractors, home improvement contractors, roofing contractors, they were a part of our top 10. So we want to caution people to do your research before you engage with, you know, contractors. Mm-hmm. And you touched on what I was going to ask you right off the bat when it comes to that research first mentality. What should people be keeping an eye on for? So when you're doing your research, you want to check to see the kinds of complaints that these companies um, have and how they deal with the complaints. Because we, you would always have, you know, complaints and things going wrong here and there. But how does the company respond to the complaints that they get? You want to make sure you're checking that out. You can speak with families or friends. You can always visit bbb.org as well because we do have, um, we do receive complaints from consumers right throughout the year on a, a large number of companies across um, Calgary. So you want to do that. You want to also check to ensure that the contractor that you want to engage um, has their proper licensing um, with Service Alberta. Um, and if you deal with an accredited business, of course, then we would have done that homework for you. So you can look out for the BBB seal while you're at the show because that says the contractor should be good to go. They're good to go because we've done the, the homework on them to make sure that they have all their licensing requirements. How important are those online reviews and that in the grand scheme of things to make sure that you are getting a pretty good business out of it? Or do you have to take that with a bit of a grain of salt because you never know who's posting? Well, um, when you go to bbb.org, you can be assured that the, the reviews and the complaints that you see they're usually vetted by us before they're posted. So if it's complaints, we usually have a conversation with the consumer as well as with the um, the company that the complaint is against to make sure that we're getting both sides of the story before the complaint is posted. The reviews online as well, it's not just randomly posted. We do go through the reviews 
um, and to make sure that those are actually uh, credible. So you you have to verify that you were you did business with the, the company that you're you're reviewing. Um, so it's not just randomly done. So for BBE.org, I can say that you can guarantee that these are this is information that you can trust. One thing I've noticed over the last couple of years of being a homeowner is relationships are pretty important. Being able to uh, trust your contractor and be and be comfortable and getting the paperwork and getting all those things and not having any kind of pushback can really save you a lot of headaches down the line. Relationships are key, and which is why we always ask that you know we always suggest that consumers also get. Um, references. And when you get these references, don't just take a name and a number, but actually get in touch with persons who have used the contractors before. So you know the kind of contractor that you'll be working with. And when you start that relationship, um, you make sure that you get things in writing. If you're not comfortable with something, um, if the contractor is unwilling to change, unwilling to budge on, you know, what you may not be comfortable with, that's a rocky start for the relationship. You want to start out smooth, right? Um, because you're going to be spending big bucks and you need someone who you can trust, which is why we always recommend um, visit bbb.org because we say start with trust and we, our contractors have to, are kind of obligated to uphold one of those, one of our standards, which is, which is, which is trust. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, that I've really noticed is ne- it never hurts to shop around. It never hurts to uh, take a gander at the other side of the uh, fence just to see what might up, might what might else be out there. Yep. You know what? Shopping around is important because you may think that, you know, you, you really love this company and you're getting the best deal. But asking for other companies who does the same kind of work and looking into those other companies is always a good option to make sure that you're getting the best deal for your, for your money. Just some food for thought for anyone looking to head to the Calgary Renovation Show this coming weekend. Shauna K. Thomas with the Better Business Bureau here in Calgary. Thank you so much for the time today. Thanks, Joe. Bye. One of the things, speaking of global news, that we've been talking a lot about over the last uh, few hours here is the interview that Premier Rachel Notley did with Global News in Edmonton. And one of the main focal points of that was the election. Take a listen. Let's start with election timing. It has to be between March and May. So you have to call it sooner or later. Are you Mm -hmm. thinking sooner or later? Uh, I'm thinking that we're probably going to call it sometime between March and May. (laughs) <laughs> That's very, uh, very elusive of you. I mean, obviously, you understand that people are anxious um, mm-hmm. to go to the polls, to get to the polls. Can you can you narrow it for us at all? And will there be a session and budget yeah. before? No. Well, we're we're working on all those issues. We're considering uh, the the various factors that come into play. You know, there's a great deal of volatility right now in terms of uh, oil prices, uh, not only in in Alberta because of Western Canadian Select, but also uh, uh, international. Nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're looking at sort of trying to get our numbers assembled so that we can have a, a good sense of what we can talk to Albertans about what they can expect for for uh, the future. And so uh, as we work on that, then, you know, that will have an impact on, on, on the timing. And we'll let folks know when we're ready to do that. Wendy, and I understand that the timing is, is political and, mm-hmm. and you don't want to play your hand too much here. But when you say working on numbers, does that mean you are working on a budget? Because it takes months. There's consultation. There's preparation. Even if you don't present that. 
that budget? Well, I think, you know, I mean, we haven't made a decision yet in terms of timing and, and, and in terms of a budget. But, but the fact of the matter is, is, is you're always planning ahead. You, you have to. Um, and, and so, you know, there's elements of budget planning that, quite frankly, have been underway for six or seven or eight months. And, and, and many of the, of the initiatives that we've engaged in are actually multi-year initiatives. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an ongoing thing for us, quite frankly, uh, because in our view, one of the watchwords that we came into office with, with was the stability and predictability. And that's what we've been doing in terms of the vast majority of the funding that, that we've been, uh, the decisions we've been making around budgeting since we got elected, sort of trying to even out the, the, the peaks and valleys and the, and the instability and, and chaos that sometimes uh, resulted and to try to, to smooth it out. And so uh, the work that goes into that, frankly, has been going on for a long time. So that's just a small portion of the uh, interview done with Global News with Premier Rachel Notley, which you can see at 770chqr.ca for the entire interview. I know Rob played a good portion of it as well. I think it's 11 minutes long. Uh, a couple of things to take away from that. Number one, I'm not overly shocked that they're going to be playing coy over the next little while when it comes to the actual date. And part of the reasoning behind that is they've still got to figure out what the dollar figures are going to be yeah, with that oil differential. And if the price of the Western Canadian Select continues to go well, they'll be able to, I guess, do a little bit more looking ahead to what kinds of uh, deficits they might be facing in the future. I'm also not overly surprised by the fact that she said that the, the budgeting process is still going on. And a lot of people have said, well, why would you prepare a budget if you're going to be out in, in a month or two? You have to prepare like you're the government to be taking the reins. It would be foolish for any party right now to not be doing budgeting, which is a challenge that I think the Wild Rose really didn't do very well at, especially in the last couple of years before they merged with the PCs to become the UCP, is they refused to release shadow budgets. And, oh, we don't want to tip it off to the, the other parties wasn't a great excuse in my books. Because if you want to be the party, then you better act like the party and act like the government. Sorry, I said, yeah. Let me rephrase that. Let me go back for a second. If you want to act like the government, you better, if you want to be the government, you got to act like the government. There we go. That was what I was meaning to say. Now, the question is ra has been raised Will the NDP present a budget? Here's my guess. Here's my I'm total stab in the dark here. I'm going to say they will. And real quickly, here's the reason why. They're going to promise the world. They're going to promise everything when it comes to education, healthcare, you name it. And then they're going to, that's going to force the UCP to be on defense. Because the Notley government will be able to say, what are you going to cut? And it's going to be a legitimate question. The answers, it's going to be up to you to find those answers and demand those answers from all the parties. Because again, if you want to be government, you better act like government heading into an election over the next couple of months. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Changes potentially in the air at Fort Calgary. Nothing major, but it could get a little bit of facelift thanks to the Calgary Horticultural Society. Joining us now for more on this is Executive Director Colleen McCracken. Colleen, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you. 
walk us through what you guys are up to or what you have planned for Fort Calgary. Well, we have a great opportunity. We're going to um, offer a design class uh, and look at a site on Fort Calgary and design it with history, the use in mind, and, uh, you know, we're a horticultural society, so, of course, it'll have uh, uh, plants and vegetation in mind as well. So it's a great opportunity because we're working with a real client, and uh, so students get a chance to interview them and... Uh, you know, talk about what their specific needs are, do a bit of dreaming and uh, thinking about the past and the future, and uh, and then integrating a design into the existing environment. How did this all come about? How did this arrangement even come to be? Uh, well, our society is, is uh, quite elderly. We're 110 years old. Last year, we were as well. And um, when we've been doing our strategic planning over the last couple of years, we've been um, creating more courses than just sort of one-off talks. So design is a natural thing when you're thinking about gardening and mm-hmm. horticulture. And uh, so we were last year we were thinking about our history and looking back, and we just sort of got that idea that uh, let's look at where it all started. And so we, you know, we're friends with the folks at, um, at that historic site. And uh, so one thing led to another. It's fantastic to hear two groups getting together like that and being able to come up with something that is is unique in a sense. And and in this particular case, you guys get to uh, go in and have students get that firsthand uh, experience, I suppose. How many students do you expect to be able to take part in this? And once the students actually do do all their due diligence, uh, when can we or how will the final concept, I guess, be decided on? Well, um, currently, uh, they're doing some major renovations at the site. So I don't know uh, in the scheme of their planning where things are at in, in terms of that. We're going to learn out. We're going to meet with them pretty soon. But um, we're going to be um, – this is a new class for us, so we're going to be working with a smaller number of students. And uh, we're currently um, advertising for students to attend now. And uh, the plan is that – they will sort of walk through the design process, learn specific tools, analyze and measure the site, uh, talk to the client, and then make a presentation of uh, to the group, and the group will critique it as well as the instructor, and then present it to the, the staff uh, there at um, at the society. Um, and, you know, it's really up to them to decide if, if it's a go or, or not a right. go. Um, but the plan is to work with them and, uh, and hopefully give them a couple of options that if not, you know, this year, maybe they'll consider in the future. For sure. What does it mean to the Horticultural Society to be able to have or place maybe their own footprint or fingerprint, a glove print even on something oh, that is so, yeah. uh, so historic here in Calgary? Well, it, it means a lot. I think, the you know, when we look, look back at our history, the society developed almost at the same time that the city developed uh, when, you know, the Parks Department and the, you know, the leaders of the um, city were looking at how do we attract uh, newcomers to come to the city and planting trees and looking at urban design and and um, creating gardens to beautify the city. And so over the years, um, 
you know, we have contributed uh, to the city design, but it, it's kind of nice to, as you say, to put a mark on things like that. And so, no, we really have had a clear impact. If you want to learn more about this, head to calhort.org slash what's happening for more information on what the Calgary Horticultural Society has planned for Fort Calgary or is looking to expand upon. Uh, Colleen, thank you so much for the insight into what you guys are up to. Oh, thanks so much, Joe. We're really looking forward to it. Colleen McCracken is the executive director of the Calgary Horticultural Society, as mentioned, looking to give a bit of a facelift potentially to uh, the old Fort Calgary uh, area. So really looking forward to seeing what they have in store, what they've got in mind. And uh, creativity is always a fun one. So uh, another one of those great community interest stories, but also one of those stories that uh, shows off uh, some of the cool collaborations that we're seeing across our community. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.